Hi there, I'm Pastor Rod Parsley, and I sure want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I'm the senior pastor of World Harvest Church, where we love God and love people, and I hope you'll be inspired by today's message. Now, for more great content and lots of updates, I'd love to connect with you online at rodparsley.com. But right now, let's head into today's episode. Culture Shocked, version 1.0. Luke 15, verse 4. I want to talk to you today about the one. The one. You may have seen some of the dream team that are already ahead of me. Everybody shout, the one. Luke chapter 15 and verse 4. Jesus speaking here. And he's been talking about a shepherd and sheep. And so he begins with this statement. What man among you, having a hundred sheep and losing what? One. Say the one. What man among you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of those sheep, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness? And go after. Now, some folks have misinterpreted that. Jesus is not saying that you neglect the 99. If you understand the context, what he's actually saying is the shepherd would take the 99 and secure them in protection and provision in the wilderness. The wilderness is where their provision came from. The wilderness was where their protection came from. So we could say, will he not leave the 99 in safety and then take his own safety in hand and go and look for the one. Go after the one. Somebody shout it with me. Go after the one. One more time. Go after the one which is lost, underline the word until, go after the one that is lost, what? He's lost to the shepherd. He's lost to the fellowship, the communion, the community, the protection of the rest of the flock. If I could give a PRP interpretation of this, I would say it this way. Be careful, because the first banana to leave the bunch gets skinned. So this sheep, he's lost to the shepherd. He's lost to his identity, because God teaches us that we have significance, not because of who we are, but rather because of what we are a part of. My hand only has significance because it's attached to the rest of my body in function. If I would cut my finger off and toss it out there to you, you would not grab it and hold on to it. But if I took my hand and patted you on the back, or if I took my hand and used my leg muscles and my torso and my rock hard core, 
and I reached down there and took a hold of you with that hand, you'd grab a hold of those fingers if you were slipping under the water for the last time, wouldn't you? So my hand has significance because of what it's attached to. So here's this sheep. It's lost its significance because it's lost its connection. It is lost to the shepherd. It is outside of his protection. It's outside of his provision. But he, the shepherd does not say, well, let him fend for himself. No, sir. the shepherd leaves the safety of the wilderness and he goes. But he doesn't go for a casual glance. He doesn't go to make a casual acquaintance. He doesn't go to whip the sheep when he finds it. Because sometimes we go after the one like this. You don't want to come to church with me Sunday, do you? Because like our services are real boisterous and you, there's a whole lot of people and I know you don't like crowds. But anyway, I just wanted to soothe my own conscience and say that I invited somebody to come and give their life to Jesus because Jesus gave his life for me and he died on the cross and everything. And I, I... No, sir. He left everything. And he, watch, what word did I have you underline? Until, until he found it. And when he found it, get this picture. He took that sheep and he did not herd it and spank it and ridicule it back to the flock. Oh, I want to preach it. No, sir. What does he do? He doesn't even make it walk on its own. Because that sheep is weary. And that sheep hasn't had his provision. And that sheep has been hiding from wolves and been running from predators. And that sheep is tired. And he's cut his head on the rocks trying to find a little bit of foliage to eat. That sheep is dirty and soiled. It fell in a stream and its wool is weighting it down. It's weary and it's tired and it's broken and it's bruised. And that shepherd who didn't count his own life dear picks up that sheep and puts it on his shoulders and carries it back to the flock. And when it gets there, your Bible bears out in the next parable of the prodigal son that when that sheep gets home, they throw the biggest party they've ever had in the family. That's the reason your Bible says all of heaven rejoices over one soul. Somebody shout, get the one. Shove your neighbor and say, come on, get the one. There's a very popular movie called Hacksaw Ridge. Anybody seen it? Wave your hand around. It's not a sin. Or 90% of you be in hell. Come on. Wave your hand around. You saw Hacksaw Ridge. It's the, it's the true story of private first class Desmond Doss. An amazing young man who because of his own religious persuasion and something early in his life that happened with a firearm by an abusive father, he went and enlisted. You know, they used to do that in the greatest generation. 
My daddy enlisted when he was 16 and a half and lied and said he was 18 and off to Korea he went. It used to be that way. People believed in that flag. They, they stood up erect with a hat over their heart when we sang the national anthem. They knew what America stood for. They knew that we're the greatest beacon of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the world has ever known. So there is Desmond Doss. He wants to enlist in World War II. And so they hand him a weapon. And he said, I can't do that. I can't carry a weapon. So he went under great ridicule because he wouldn't carry, because he went opposite the flow, because he was a west running stream, because he didn't walk in cadence in his morality with everybody else, but because he didn't walk in cadence with the morality of the time did not mean that he did not, not walk in the morality of the word of God. He didn't protest. He enlisted. And he said, I I've got to go. I've got to help. My brothers are going. My friends are going. My neighbors are going. They're laying their life on the line. I don't want to sit at home. I want to be there. Surely I can do something. Because as we learn in next steps, everybody is a 10 at something. You may not be able to preach the sermon. You may not be able to sing like Mrs. Lisa Brunson. You may not be able to play the violin. You may not be able to preach like Elder Brunson. You may not be an elder. You may not ush with the ushers. You may not park with the parking lot attendants. You may be allergic to baby powder and can't be in the nursery. But I'm here to tell you today, every single one of us can do something to go and reach the one. We're all, your Bible says, given something to do that proves who God is, who today would like to enlist in the army of God to do something that would prove to everybody around you who your God is. If that's you, I dare you to clap and shout. So Desmond Doss was the first conscientious objector ever admitted into the United States military. He said, I, let, me, let me get the quote right for you. He said, they said, why do you want to go to war if you won't carry a weapon? He said, I want to be like Christ. I want to go saving life instead of taking life. So he signed up as a medic. He would be the one that would go and give them morphine when they were taking their last breath. He would be the one that would bandage their wounds. He would be the one that would hold their head in their dying hour. He would be the one that would rush in when everybody rushed out. He would be the one to take a man with both legs blown off by an explosion and drag him back to safety without even the protection of a weapon. He could have called 10,000 angels when he died suffering, sighing and crying on that old rugged, angry, mean, biting beam, but he died alone. Jesus, for you and for me, 
So Desmond Doss headed to World War II. He was on Okinawa with the Japanese pushing down upon the Allied forces and driving them back and driving them back to Hacksaw Ridge where suddenly there was nowhere to go. 35 foot steep, rugged, rocky, craggy cliff. They'd been decimated by the advancing Japanese Imperial Army. They were called to retreat. And everybody with a weapon headed back toward the ridge. But Desmond Doss said, no, sir. Somebody has to care for the dying. Somebody has to find the bleeding, the wounded, the abandoned, the injured, the hurting, the frightened. We can't leave them. And so without a weapon, for the next 12 hours alone, crossing enemy lines under heavy Japanese fire, Desmond Doss picked up the wounded on his shoulders and through the barrage of incoming fire, carried them back to Hacksaw Ridge and put a rope around them and around his body and began to lower them to safety. He said, I wasn't trying to be a hero. Don't look for a pulpit. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, Dwight L. Moody right beside him. They both said, the world is my pulpit and every street corner my chapel. He said, I didn't want to be a hero. I wasn't trying to be a hero. I was thinking about it from this vantage point. If a house was on fire and a mother's child was crying inside that house, she abandons all protection, rushes into that burning home to rescue that child. Why? Because she wants to be a hero? No. It's love. Unbounding, unbridled, fearless, unquestioning love. Desmond Dawes said, I loved my men. I just could not give up on them. And so I just kept asking, Lord, please help me get just one more.
Today, you and I make the decision to enlist in the battle for the souls of those we love and we will not retreat nor raise the white flag of surrender. We will not call to run from the battle, but to the battle. We were built for the battle. We are created for the conflict. We are equipped to engage the arch enemy of the souls of men. We are called to rescue the perishing. We are called to care for the dying. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, 30 and 31. You shall love the Lord your God. Here's how we know the great commission, the great commandment, the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with your whole strength and your whole self. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you remember when you were laying on the battlefield of life, wretched and poor, cold and desperate, lonely and dying, wounded and weeping, Do you remember when Jesus Christ, the spiritual Desmond Doss, refused to abandon you? Do you remember on the cross those bleeding hands, that wheezing voice, those weary eyes, that swollen brow, that those bent and weak limbs. Do you remember when he reached way down for you? If you remember, shout with both hands uplifted. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You didn't leave me. You didn't abandon me. You didn't leave me to suffer. You didn't leave me to die. I remember, oh, if you could see where Jesus brought me from and where I am today, then you would know the reason why I love him so. You can take this world's wealth and riches. I don't need earth's fame. It's my desire to live for him. The great command, love God with all that's in you. Well, if that's true, then you can't help but love his kids, his family, that one sheep in your family, in your office building, that one student in your classroom, that one person that you work beside in the cubicle, that boss that signs your check. 
that aunt, that uncle, that grandchild, that nephew, that niece that lays today suffering and sighing and crying and dying on the battlefield of life. And while everybody else is headed in retreat to safety, thank God today. Day, we are raising up a group of people who, like the United States Marine Corps, will not leave one wounded behind. You have to understand this. To love God is to love people, but something has to happen. I need you to understand something. This is my wife. We dated for seven years, the tribulation period. I chased her till she caught me. And on October the 11th, when I was 29 and you were 25, right? 26. We walked down an aisle, didn't we? And Brother Sumrall said, salute your bride. And I went, what? I never heard that before. He said, salute your bride. I said, I, I don't understand. He said, I want you to kiss her. So I went. I need you to understand something today. I do not love her because I found in the Bible that I had to. I love her because I can't help it. I love her when she leaves the garage door up. I love her when she doesn't understand that light switches go down to. I love her when I try to get in bed with her and she got three dogs in there already. I love her. I love her in the morning sun. I love her in the evening rain. I love her in the good times and I love her in the bad times. I don't have to try to love her. I can't help it. Now come here, Elder G. I don't love him because of who he voted for or didn't vote for. I don't love him because he always gets it right. I don't love him because sometimes he gets it wrong. I don't love him because he eats collard greens and I like spinach. I don't love him because he eats grits and I like gravy. I love him, listen to me, because I can't help it because the love of God constrains me to love him with my whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. So when I do, I can't help but love them too. Turn around and hug somebody, slap somebody a high five and tell them, I just can't stop loving you. Love is not out of obligation. Be seated. There's something more powerful at work. It takes 100 churches, 10 years 
and $100,000 to win one soul in America. Every single year, three million people quit going to church altogether. Within 12 miles of this pulpit, 576,000 people will never darken the door of a church in their life. Why do we need more churches? 20% of those under 30, only 20% think attending church has any benefit. And 30% of them think church does more harm than good. In my parents' generation, 65% of the people walking the streets in your neighborhood held to biblically-based values. In my generation, it dropped. To 35%. And in my daughter's generation, it's 4%. So I got an idea. How about we quit spending God's money for another ladies' meeting, men's meeting, seminar? How about we take an entire Sunday morning and just Go to the homes of the people we love and bring them on our shoulders to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. How about we quit talking to each other? How about we quit celebrating ourselves? How about we quit worshiping our worship and praising our praise? God, you don't want me to preach, but I want to. I've been talking about the call beyond us. The United States of America is the fourth largest mission field on the planet. Only China, India, Indonesia have more lost people than America. Go with me to South Korea where you walk up and down the street and every filling station you pull into, somebody's having a prayer meeting. Wouldn't you like to live in a nation where when you go to get your stentions washed out or tee it up, there's a healing meeting going on. Oh, don't you, you see? We bought into the lie. 
We bought into the lie that we should be timid and a weak faith will be intimidated. We are, a timid faith will be intimidated. God has not called us to negotiate terms at the table of our adversary. He has called us to invade enemy-held territory to pursue the lost and bring his kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Not just a Sunday morning for an hour. So I've been talking to you about the call beyond us. Well, let, me, let me talk to you just for a minute about the call inside us. That's why we had the children sing Moana. She talked about the call inside me. There's something propelling me. There's something compelling me. Look at us. We're beaten at times and battered at times. And we don't know which way to turn at times. And we almost lose our praise at times. We're tired at times. And we're weary at times and we're worn at times and we're confused at times we're, we're beaten and battered but I need to tell the devil something we will not bow here's why because we have a compulsion we got a bad case, shove your neighbor and tell them, I got a bad case of the I can't help it. I know I shouldn't love them, but I do. I know I shouldn't weep over them, but I do. I know what they're doing is wrong. I know what they're doing is an abomination, but you want me to stop loving them because of what they're doing? They don't, they don't. They're, they're not sinners because they sin. They sin because they're sinners. And there's only one answer. Thank you, Andre Crouch. It's the B-I-B-L-E. There's only one God, one book. It's the Holy Bible that will take you to the promised land. Don't talk to them about their sin. Talk to them about yours and how he brought you out of the miry clay and set your feet on a rock to stay. I wish I had half a church that could just thank him that he didn't count number your sins. Somebody shout, get the one. We have an inward desire. Poor little Moana. Is that her name? She had everything she wanted on that island. Right? She was going to be the princess, the queen. And they wanted her to stay put. Just like that devil wants you. I serve on the dream team. I sit on the 14th row once every four weeks on Sunday morning. I get my praise on. There was a great world leader. Napoleon sat down on the portico outside his massive complex and at 17 years of age, 17, began to weep hysterically. 
His warlords came to him. They said, what's the issue, dude? What's up with this? He said, there are no more worlds to conquer. He walked to his war room, pulled down a great map, and began to trace around a nation with his finger. He said, if this nation ever learns to harness its manpower to its wealth, let the world tremble. And his warlords clattered their armor. And Napoleon said, shh, just let China sleep. Do you know what the enemy says to you? Stay busy. Stay busy with church work. Stay busy. Run to and fro. Get to soccer practice. Get to the grocery. Get your nails did. Hurry. Get back. Cook dinner. Clean the house. Hurry. Pray. Jesus, this is Jimmy. Let me tell you what I want you to give me. <laughs> give the core of your apple. <laughs> Hurry. Be busy. Go to church. How about we have a hundred night revival and nobody gets saved? We have a 30-day revival that people are outside begging to take off the old man and put on the new. Uh, your preacher's preaching. Tweet that. Here's the problem. We really don't possess a vision of a soul's value. We don't. You know, preachers nowadays, it's always, and there's nothing wrong with that. Thank God for influencers. We need to win influencers. But uh, the issue with that is you can't ever find Jesus going to influencers. Jesus went to the downcast and the lost, and then they became the influencers. You're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. If you get your eyes on their wealth or their influence or who they are or their prestige or how many people they got following them on Facebook, if that's what you're going after, if you just preach, if all you want to do is plant churches in the middle of the wealthiest area of your city and usher the Holy Ghost out the door so he doesn't offend anybody, I say you're on the wrong page. You need to get on the page that says, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
I'll tell you where the majority of the 27 churches we launched today, let me tell you where they are. We didn't get a map and say, where are the wealthiest people? We said, God, where do you want us? Where is the harvest ready? Where some of them are in the up and outs, but most of them are in the down and outs. It doesn't matter to me because we'll take the down and outs, get them washed in the blood, filled with the Holy Ghost, and the next thing you know, they'll become tithers, and the next thing you know, they won't be working at McDonald's, they'll own five. I wish I had somebody to shout. Somebody holler, get to one. Uh, I got this ought to burn in our spirits. This ought to burn in our spirits. David said, No man cared for my soul. You want to know how much your nephew is worth at 12 years of age? Don't look at him at 12 years of age. Don't look at him as to what he could increase God's kingdom today. Look at that 12-year-old. Look at that 8-year-old. The way that lady preacher looked at me when we didn't believe in lady preachers. And she prayed for an hour and a half with me at an altar and I was the only one there. She wasn't looking for prestige. She wasn't looking for somebody that could influence the kingdom today because they got saved and everybody knows who they are. That's not what she did. She had a compulsion. She had an inward desire to serve an infallible leader with irresistible power, which is based upon absolute truth. She prayed for me because she understood the worth of a soul. She understood that someday that eight-year-old may win millions to Jesus. There may be a Sunday morning where he starts 27 churches at one time. Sinners have a posterity. Sinners have a future. Christians have a future. We're all going to live forever somewhere. You want to know the value of a soul? Look at that cross. You want to know how much your mother-in-law means to God? The God we claim we worship. As he sits on his throne, pointing to the one. Y'all are good. You're good. I see your worship and I appreciate it. God said, I I see you giving. I appreciate that. I I see you going to church. I appreciate that. What about that? What about that? What about that? Because guess what? He loves them. He loves them more than you do. So it's not natural. That's what I need you to know. It has to come from the inside. The awareness of the value of a soul has to be birthed from the inside. There was something inside Moana that would not let her stay in Sunday morning service. Where it was comfortable and all the saints were. She had to get out on the storm-tossed sea. Something was striving her. Something was compelling her. I would to God that this day God would give you a revelation. Now, don't get mad at me of your family in hell. Screaming. 
writhing while the billowing waves of the fury of God and unleashed horror is released in their life, not for a moment, forever. I wonder, would you have allowed your 12-year-old to stay home today? I wonder if you'd care more about getting them to cheerleading on Sunday than in the house of God. What about your sister? My sister today is leaping like a heart over the everlasting hills of God's glory to suffer no more, sigh no more, die no more, cry no more. My father is running through the pavilions of glory. He's shouting over the sapphire sill of heaven's banister saying, preach, son. Preach! But oh, the torment of thinking they were one moment in hell. Job it was who said, when I consider God, I fear him. Mercy is preaching today, but judgment stands right off the stage. What about your family? Don't think of them as they are today. Think of them. Think of them at the throne of God with hands uplifted in the crystal sea of millions worshiping for eternity at the throne of God. What will make the difference? Oh, one more call. Just one more. It's not the call beyond yourself. It's not the call inside yourself. It's the call to you. To you. Can you hear him? Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Come to me. And though your sins be scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, I'll make them white as wool. Softly, tenderly, right now Jesus is calling. He's calling to you and to me. Oh, Jesus, help us. Help us, God. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me. He sees you weak, weak and wounded, weary and worn. He doesn't say it's your fault. He doesn't blame you. He understands you. 
He knows that something's missing. On the inside of you, you don't have joy. You don't have peace. You don't have comfort. You're not sure you're on your way to heaven. So he doesn't say, go away from me. He says, come. All you that are weak and heavy laden. (laughs) All you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Come and learn of me. He said his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Here's what your Bible says. The wages of sin is death. But God's gift is eternal life. Heaven to go to heaven in. Instead of hell to go to hell in. Your Bible says that sin's Joys are for a moment, but in the end, it's like a mouthful of gravel. I came into this building on a Sunday. As was my custom, I walked right over here and sitting right there, on that very pew was my 19-year-old best friend. His name was Freddie. <laughs> he was all man. He weighed about 4'10". He always wore bibbed overalls because that's kind of all he could wear. <laughs> he drove an 18-wheel truck. Freddie had been away from God, hadn't been serving God, been acting a fool and acting crazy. But on this particular Sunday morning, he stood here, his wife beside him, his two children beside them. He had a big beard, born I wish I could grow, but Joni won't let me. <laughs> had his hands up and that big mound of a body and tears running through that beard. I said, Freddie, what's going on? He said, he said, Pastor, I got right with God this week. It was on a Sunday night. We didn't have to do a mail program. We didn't have to do a social media program. We didn't have to do anything to get him to church. There he was. I slapped him a high five and went on preaching. That Monday morning, I got a call about 8 o'clock in the morning. When you're a pastor, thousands of people, you get calls. They said, is this Pastor Parsons? I said, yes. They said, we need you to come to Grand Hospital. I said, I'll be there as quickly as I can. I got there. The doors opened. A doctor and a nurse were standing there to greet me. They said, Pastor Parsley, we need you to go downstairs. I knew the only thing downstairs at Grand Hospital at that time was the morgue. So I got in and I said, you want me to identify a body? They said, yes. So I went downstairs and the doors opened. And way down yonder in a concrete hallway was a hospital bed with a mound of a body. And I walked up and I pulled back the sheet. And there was the angelic face of my 19-year-old best friend who the night before 
said he'd made his peace with God. I preached his funeral. It was, it was kind of hard to do, but I preach it right here. His body lay in state right there. And I, I was preaching the eulogy and I looked over there and I thought for a minute, Freddie has raised from the dead. We're going to have a service now. Because right over there, right where that break is, there was another great big young man. He too was 19 years old. He too wore a beard. He too had bibbed overalls. He too drove an 18-wheel truck. <laughs> he came right here and I said, what's your name, Sonny? He was weeping. I said, what's your name, Sonny? He said, they call me Big Tom. I said, I can see that. He said, they call me Big Tom. I said, Big Tom, grabbed a hold of that casket. He was my one. I, I might not have tomorrow with him. I, I better talk to him today. Because the Bible said tomorrow. It's promised to know. Well, he's only 19 years old. Surely you'll have another opportunity. Well, that's what the devil wants you to believe. So he can take you to hell in a handbasket. I said, kneel down right here. Give your life to Jesus and you'll see Freddie again. He looked at me. I thought he was going to pray. He let go of that casket. He ran, ran up that center aisle and out that doorway. Three days later, I got a call. Pastor, could we use the tabernacle for a funeral? I said, certainly. They said, well, you might know the deceased. He was at Freddie's funeral. They said, his name is Big Tom. Big Tom didn't take care of himself and driving that 18-wheel truck, had a heart attack, went into an embankment of an overpass into a concrete wall and instantly was in heaven. Let me correct myself. He was in eternity. You see, everybody in this room under the sound of my voice is going to live forever somewhere. It's in this life that God allows us to choose. It's against our religion to impose our religion. That's for terrorists to do. It's only our intention to give you an opportunity to do what you know you want to do. And that's give Jesus Christ the lordship of your life. Two young men, as far as we know, one in heaven, both 19, both bibbed overholes, both huge, both drove 18-wheel trucks, both with beards, one difference. In all probability, one's in heaven and one's in hell. Why? A choice. Just a choice. But you're not the only one I want to talk to today. I want to talk to every other person in this room. Because I want to talk to you about that second call. I want to talk to you about that call to go into all the earth and preach the gospel. I want to talk to you about getting something so alive on the inside of you that you can't sleep with the knowledge of your children in hell. That it wakes you up at night and makes you walk the floor when you think about the people that you go to school with every day. And you've never shared the gospel with them. 
The Bible says if you see the wicked man in his wicked way and you fail, preacher, you fail to warn him of his wicked way, his blood will I, God, require at your hand. Oh, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, Pastor Rod. Ikataha, mokata, tie my bow tie, take a ride of my Honda, watch me flow in the gifts. Oh, am I something. Why don't you get those gifts out there? Why don't you walk through the frozen peas and carrots and say, uh, by the way, Bethany, to somebody you've never seen before, and when she says, how did you know my name? Say, the Holy Spirit told me. He also showed me that tumor in your left breast. What are you talking about? I just left the doctor. You want the gifts of Spirit to work? Get out there where the needs are. You want to be compelled by the Holy Spirit? What about that person that you make jokes with at work that you know if they get in a car accident tomorrow, they have no hope of making heaven? I'm not trying to condemn you. My God, living the life of faith in the Holy Spirit is the most joyful, abundant life you could ever live. If you don't believe me, you just wait. You wait till you get your one. Some of you have never gotten one. You wait till you get your one in the next three weeks. You wait until they walk this aisle. You wait until you see tears streaming down their face. You wait till they're calling you saying, can I meet you at church Sunday morning? You wait until it's your 17 year old getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and off crack at this altar. You just wait till you get your one. Mr. Peace was the most notorious gangster in London infamy. Sentenced to death for raping women and murdering children. The priest was walking behind him to the gallows. True story. Sentenced to death by hanging. The padre or the pastor or the priest or whoever was following him was doing the religious thing and reading the Bible. He Stop reading the Bible to people and be it. So there he was reading. Mr. Peace, inadvertently the pastor, padre, priest, whoever it was, said the word hell. Mr. Peace grabbed him by the shoulder and jerked him up to his face and said, do you believe that? The preacher said, believe what? About hell. Isn't it interesting that 80% of your neighbors say they believe in God, but only 4% of the 80% say they believe in a literal hell. Thank you, preachers, he said. The preacher said, well, I suppose I do. Mr. Peace threw him to the floor and said, that's the most pathetic thing I've ever heard. For if I believed in a place of the eternal incarceration of the damned souls of men where the fire is never quenched and there is no exit sign, I would crawl upon my hands and knees from the north of England to the south until my limbs were nothing but bloody stumps if I had a chance of saving one 
person that torment. So I'm calling you. I'm calling you to allow the Holy Spirit to so possess you that you're going to get with every single person you know in the next three weeks. And you're going to say, I'll buy your lunch and your breakfast too. I'll pick you up. I'll spend the night at your house. I'll buy you a new outfit. I will do anything, absolutely anything, to get you to go to church with me next Sunday morning. Because you know, and I know, if they're here in this atmosphere, hearing the truth of the gospel, they will do what 160 people did last Sunday morning they will make their peace with God hey thanks for listening to today's episode if you enjoyed it I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast hope you'll do it today head on over to iTunes and leave a review share it on your social networks for me really helps me get the word out I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.